Welcome back to the Hemingway List, Book 4, Chapter 3. Uh, we'll be reading the Maud version of Chapter 4, but tomorrow, when we get to tomorrow's reading, we'll be reading the Ander Lewis version of, um, that'll be Chapter 5. I haven't had much time to do my chapters. Today I had the first Launchpad school for the year, so that was really exciting. I got to go teach some grade 5, 6 kids about writing. Got to do that with my um, my other writing buddies, Robbie Verhagen Aaron Huggins, two of my writing mates. <laughs> They're also part of the Launchpad team. So that was really exciting. Um, but tomorrow, not so exciting, rather mundane, I've got a house inspection. So I've been busily for the last few days weeding the garden and, and dusting the, um, you know, the vents, the, the ceiling vents above the shower, that kind of thing. My, my landlord's a bit fussy about these kinds of things, so... My house is relatively clean, but I haven't done a deep clean for a while. Um, so, that's been fun. <laughs> that's been fun. Um, but yeah, no, that's my excuse. That's my excuse why I haven't done the last couple of chapters. Um, what, what's our discussion prompts here? Chapter 3. It feels like print, like sorry, Pierre is caught between two worlds at this party. Why is that? How is he feeling? Does Pierre handle the party appropriately? We didn't really see much action with Pierre, did did we? I feel like, I'm not sure if that discussion prompt is for the right chapter. I feel like we might have messed that up because we only very briefly saw Pierre, didn't we? Or did I just not pay attention to what I was reading? Uh, Bagration is the guest of honour, but comes off as awkward. Yeah, he did seem really awkward. Does this have anything to do with the misplaced criticism of Kutuzov, if not why? Yeah, maybe he knows, you know, maybe he knows he doesn't deserve this, uh, all this um, celebration, what am I trying to say, acclaim. He doesn't deserve all this acclaim and maybe, maybe Kutuzov isn't quite the villain that they're making him out to be. Ripster66 says, poor Pierre never really fits in anywhere, does he? Now he's wealthy and expected to mingle with the older connected crowd, but he is also young. Oh, yeah, I do remember reading about that. Yeah, he he was kind of expected to mingle with the people that were higher ranked, but they were all old and boring. Um, he doesn't fit well with this with either group. He has so little mind of his own. He's changed his appearance on his wife's recommendation and reacts to people's subservience to his wealth with a mild disdain instead of just being himself. Poor guy doesn't even know how to be himself. You know the thing, one of the most annoying character act things in this book I, I'm not phrasing things properly today um, I think my brain might be fried um, one of the most uh, irritating things that any character does in this book is Helen making him take his glasses off this is the second chapter where it's been mentioned that because she doesn't like the way his spectacles look he's had to take them off which I just think is like Oh, you just want to strangle her, don't you? Don't you just want to... Doesn't it just make you cringe? You think, oh, it's kind of evil. Like, you're so worried about your how you're perceived that you make your husband take off his glasses that he needs to see just so that... Just to sort of increase your image by what little minuscule percent would, would that change? Like, he's slightly more fashionable for not having his glasses on. I don't know. Oh, I just hate that. It really bugs me. Um, and the fact that he does it too. 
is what's even worse. Prince Bagration, at ease on the battlefield, says Rips to 66, is now incredibly uncomfortable in this fawning social setting. There's a huge disconnect between the reality of war and the perception held by the folks at home. I'm sure he doesn't feel his actions deserve this sort of attention, particularly in light of the loss of Austerlitz, but he also doesn't want to offend anyone, and they clearly want to have a hero to celebrate. That Kudzov is regarded so poorly while Bagration is lauded must be incredibly awkward for him. Uh, Acoustic Eels says, What Korsho said, the Russian syllables could be sung to the tune of Ode to Joy... What are we saying here? Translating poetry is also always tough. I don't think we've read Korsho's... Have we read Korsho's... Oh, okay. Oh, I'm reading the reply to a comment that I didn't read. (laughs) Oh, dear. I've skipped ahead. Um, Okay, so Warren Kovofi says the original comment. I wanted to ask something about the translation of Pavel Kutuzov's Cantana for our non-English readers. PNV has it as vain are all barriers to Russians in us victory and valor meet we have our bagrations our enemies will be at our feet that's very different to the Maud one in the original Russian and other translation is the rhyming pattern there well it is it is in Maud but they were different lines for sure um, Korsho says in Russian it's not prose it's a normal song with meter and all lines rhyming um, here's the Maud translation, which keeps this, only the metrical structure is slightly different. Russians over all barriers on, courage, conquest, guarantees. Have we not Bagration? He brings foemen to their knees. PNV's translation is closer to the literal meaning, though. There we go, okay. Um... Sorry, I'm skipping ahead to some other comments. Four Lost Souls in a Bowl says, I see a few comments mentioning Pierre would rather be with Dolokhov right now. I doubt it since apparently Dolokhov is the one who cuckled in him. How do you plan for a party like this? 300 guests, 900 plates, 600 forks, 300 knives, 300 cloth napkins, 300 chairs, 6,000 glasses for smashing. Something like that. I feel bad for that the Rostovs and their poor um, accountant who's trying to keep them afloat. Pythagorean Bean says, I'm just now catching up with the group after starting several weeks back and I'm excited to be here. Hey, well done. Thanks for catching up. I have been trying to read more lately since my graduation but was never a huge classics fan. Then I found R slash the Hemingway list while reading Brothers Karamazov in the fall and enjoyed their insights so I thought I would follow along with War and Peace. Awesome. Welcome. Um, what else have you got to say there? He treated them with a kind of offhand and contemptuous sense of superiority that had now become second nature to him. I hope Pierre is still the same Pierre as earlier in the book, and I can't blame him for this attitude, since all people want him, want for, from him seems to be money. Yeah, you know what? Like, As bad as it sounds, him treating them offhand and contemptuous with a sense of superiority that was now second nature to him is almost like, that's almost like being quite genuine (laughs) in a weird way. It sounds awful, but like for him in his reality, being richer than all of them and knowing by now that they're just sucking up to him, then to be blasé and be over it and not really give a shit about these people is actually, I don't know, a 
not a bad take by Pierre, I would say. You know, could he do a better take? Could he do something a little bit more humble? A little bit more, I don't know, virtuous? Yeah, definitely. But he's keeping it real. He's shrugging him off. And fair enough. Uh, all right, now my brain is frazzled and I'm struggling here with stringing sentences together. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read you chapter four and then I'm going to go to bed. Here it goes. Pierre sat opposite Dolokhov and Nicholas Rostov. As usual, he ate and drank much and eagerly, but those who knew him intimately noticed that some great change had come over him that day. He was silent all through dinner and looked about blinking and scowling or with fixed eyes and a look of complete absent-mindedness kept rubbing the bridge of his nose. His face was depressed and gloomy. He seemed to hear, he seemed to see and hear nothing of what was going on around him and to be absorbed by some depressing and unsolved problem. The unsolved problem that tormented him was caused by hints given by the princess, his cousin at Moscow, concerning Dolokhov's intimacy with his wife, and by an anonymous letter he had received that morning, which in the mean jocular way common to anonymous letters said that he was badly through that he saw badly through his spectacles, but that his wife's connection with Dolokhov was a secret to no one but himself. Pierre absolutely disbelieved both the princess's hints and the letter, but he feared now to look at Dolokhov, who was sitting opposite him. Every time he chanced to meet Dolokhov's handsome, insolent eyes, Pierre felt something terrible and monstrous rising in his soul and turned quickly away, involuntarily recalling his wife's past and her relations with Dolokhov. Pierre saw clearly that what was said in the letter might be true or might at least seem to be true, had it not referred to his wife. He involuntarily remembered how Dolokhov, who had fully recovered his former position after the campaign, had returned to Petersburg and come to him, availing himself of his friendly relations with Pierre as a boon companion. Dolokhov had come straight to his house and Pierre had put him up and lent him money. Pierre recalled how Helena had smilingly expressed disapproval of Dolokhov's living at their house and how cynically Dolokhov had praised his wife's beauty to him and from that time till they came to Moscow had not left them for a day. Yes, he is very handsome, thought Pierre, and I know him. It would be particularly pleasant to him to dishonor my name and ridicule me just because I have exerted myself on his behalf, befriended him and helped him. I know and understand what a spice that would add to the pleasure of deceiving me, if it really were true. Yes, if it were true, but I do not believe it. I have no right to and can't believe it. He remembered the expression Dolokhov's face assumed in his moment of cruelty, as when, tri- as when tying the policemen to the bear and dropping them into the water, or when he challenged a man to a duel without any reason, or shot a postboy's horse with a pistol. That expression was often on Dolokhov's face when looking at him. Yes, he is a bully, thought Pierre. To kill a man means nothing to him. It must seem to him that everyone is afraid of him, and that must please him. He must think that I too am afraid of him, and in fact, I am afraid of him, he thought. And again he felt something terrible and monstrous rising in his soul. Dolokhov, Denisov and Rostov were now sitting opposite Pierre, and seemed very gay. 
Rostov was talking merrily to his two friends, one of whom was a dashing hussar, and the other a notorious duelist and a rake. And every now and then he glanced ironically at Pierre, whose preoccupied, absent-minded and massive figure was a very noticeable one at the dinner. Rostov looked inimically at Pierre, first because Pierre appeared to his hussar eyes as a rich civilian, the husband of a beauty, and in a word, an old woman, and secondly because Pierre, in his preoccupation and absent-mindedness, had not recognized Rostov and had not responded to his greeting. When the Emperor's health was drunk, Pierre, lost in thought, did not rise or lift his glass. "'What are you about?' shouted Rostov, looking at him in an ecstasy of exasperation. "'Don't you hear it's His Majesty, the Emperor's health?' Pierre sighed, rose submissively, emptied his glass, and waiting till all were seated again, turned with his kindly smile to Rostov. "'Why, I didn't recognize you,' he said, but Rostov was otherwise engaged. He was shouting hurrah. "'Why don't you renew the acquaintance?' said Dolokhov to Rostov. "'Confound him, he's a fool,' said Rostov. "'One should make up to the husbands of pretty women,' said Denisov. Pierre did not catch what they were saying, but knew they were talking about him. He reddened and turned away. "'Well, now, to the health of handsome women,' said Dolokhov, and with a serious expression, but with a smile lurking at the corners of his mouth, he turned his glass to Pierre. "'Here's to the health of lovely women, Peterkin, and their lovers,' he added." Pierre, with downcast eyes, drank out of his glass without looking at Dolokhov or answering him. The footman, who was distributing leaflets with Kutuzov's cantana, laid one before Pierre as one of the principal guests. He was just going to take it when Dolokhov, leaning across, snatched it from his hand and began reading it. Pierre looked at Dolokhov and his eyes dropped. The something terrible and monstrous that had tormented him all dinner time rose and took possession of him. He leaned his whole massive body across the table. "'How dare you take it?' he shouted. Hearing that cry and seeing to whom it was addressed, Nesvitsky and the neighbour on his right quickly turned in alarm to Bezikov. "'Don't, don't, what are you about?' whispered their frightened voices. Dolokhov looked at Pierre with clear, mirthful, cruel eyes, and that smile of of his which seemed to say, "'Ah, this is what I like.' "'You shan't have it,' he said distinctly. Pale, with quivering lips, Pierre snatched the copy. "'You, you scoundrel, I challenge you,' he ejaculated, and pushing back his chair, he rose from the table. At the very instant he did this, and out of those words, Pierre felt that the question of his wife's guilt, which had been tormenting him the whole day, was finally, indubitably, answered in the affirmative. He hated her, and was forever sundered from her. Despite Denisov's request that he would take no part in the matter, Rostov agreed to be Dolokhov's second, and after dinner he discussed the arrangement for the duel with Nezvitsky, Bezukhov's second. Pierre went home, but Rostov and Dolokhov and Denisov stayed on at the club till late, listening to the gypsies and other singers. Well then, till tomorrow, Sokolinki, said Dolokhov as he took leave of Rostov in the club porch. And do you feel quite calm? Rostov asked. Dolokhov paused. Well, you see, I'll tell you the whole secret of duelling in two words. If you're going to fight a duel and you make a will and write affectionate letters to your parents, and if you think you may be killed, you are a fool and are lost for certain. 
but go with the firm intention of killing your man as quickly and surely as possible, and then all will be right, as our bear huntsman at Costroma used to tell me. Everyone fears a bear, he says, but when you see one, your fear is all gone, and your only thought is not to let him get away. And that's how it will be with me. A demain, monsieur. Till tomorrow, my dear friend. Next day at eight in the morning, Pierre and Nesvitsky drove to Solkoniki Forest and found Dolokhov, Denisov and Rostov already there. Pierre had the air of a man preoccupied with considerations which had no connection with the matter in hand. His haggard face was yellow. He had evidently not slept that night. He looked about distractedly and screwed up his eyes as if dazzled by the sun. He was entirely absorbed by two considerations, his wife's guilt of which after his sleepless night he had not the slightest doubt, and the guiltlessness of Dolokhov, who had no reason to preserve the honour of a man who was nothing to him. I should perhaps have done the same thing in his place, thought Pierre. It's even certain that I should have done the same. Then why this, why this duel? Why this murder? Either I shall kill him or he will hit me in the head or elbow or knee. Can't I go away from here, run away, bury myself somewhere? passed through his mind. But just at moments when thoughts, such thoughts occurred to him, he would ask in the particularly calm and absent-minded way which inspired the respect of the onlookers, Will it be long? Are things ready? When all was ready, the sabres stuck in the snow to mark the barriers and the pistols loaded, Nesvitsky went up to Pierre. I should not be doing my duty, Count, he said in timid tones, and should not justify your confidence and your the honour you have done me in choosing me for your second, if at this grave, this very grave moment I did not tell you the whole truth. I think there is no sufficient ground for this affair, or for blood to be shed over it. You were not right, not quite in the right. You were impetuous. Ah, yes, it is horribly stupid, said Pierre. Then allow me to express your regrets, and I am sure your opponent will accept them, said Desvitsky, who, like the others concerned in the affair, and like everyone in similar cases, did not yet believe that the affair had come to an actual duel. You know, Count, it is much more honourable to admit one's mistake than to let matters become irreparable. There's no, There was no insult on either side. Allow me to convey. No, what is there to talk about, said Pierre? It's all the same. Is everything ready? He added. Only tell me where to go and where to shoot he said with an unnaturally gentle smile. He took the pistol in his hand and began asking about the working of the trigger, as he had not before held a pistol in his hand, a fact that he did not wish to confess. Oh, yes, like that, I know, I only forgot, said he. No apologies, none whatsoever, said Dolokhov to Denisov, who on his side had been attempting a reconciliation, and he also went up to the appointed place. The spot chosen for the duel was some eighty paces from the road, where the sleighs had been left, in a small clearing in the pine forest, covered with melting snow, the frost having begun to break up during the last few days. The antagonists stood forty paces apart at the farther edge of the clearing. The seconds, measuring the paces, left tracks in the deep wet snow between the place where they had been standing and Nezvitsky's and Dolokhov's sabres, which were stuck into the ground ten paces apart to mark the barrier. It was thawing and misty. At forty paces distance nothing could be seen. For three minutes 
All had been ready, but they still delayed, and all were silent. Oh, damn. All right, there you go. There's a chapter for you. Damn, that's exciting. What a cliffhanger to end on. They're about to have an actual duel. All right, have your say about that one over at the subreddit, and I'm excited for tomorrow's chapter. I'll see you then.